Welcome to the Kenosha City Church Podcast. The Bible tells us that when our heart is healthy, the rest of our life will be healthy too. This message will empower you to live your life with a healthy heart that results in you being blessed beyond measure. Enjoy the message. Well, let's get into our second part today of Habits of a Healthy Heart. Last week we looked at what does a healthy heart look like. This week we're going to make it a little bit more specific. And we're going to talk about the healthy heart will be a generous heart. Now, if, you, if I were to take a poll in this room or online, and you can even put it in the comment section if you want, but coming into 2024, how many of you are feeling blessed? All right, like, yeah, my life, I'm blessed, all right? Yeah, okay. Um, and of course, <laughs> if you're a follower of Christ, like, I know I'm supposed to raise my hand, all right? So, yes, I'm blessed. I'm too stressed to be blessed. Or, wait, no, I'm too blessed to be stressed, right? And so, uh, you're, you're, of course, your hand is supposed to be up saying, yeah, I'm blessed. But if you're to be honest, right? If you're like, hey, I'm just going to be transparent this morning. I'm going to be authentic, right? Um, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to raise my hand when you say, I don't feel the blessing. And maybe that's you this morning. Maybe this morning you know you're blessed in the Lord, but maybe there's something in your life uh, maybe uh, that uh, situations have happened. Maybe you're feeling the January or post-Christian blues. Uh, and, and you're just, blessing just seems out of grasp. Is that you this morning? If it's not you this morning, when, there, when has there been a time in life where you're like, the blessing feels out of grasp? For Allison and I, early on in our marriage, uh, we faced something the whole world faced. We faced the Great Recession as a newly married couple who just bought a house. Woo-hoo, right? If you bought a house before the recession, guess what? You stuck in that house for a decade, and so, we're, so we were, all right? So, uh, but it wasn't just that. Uh, uh, when we were, during this time, we, were, we had two cars, two very clunker cars, all right? Uh, we, we also faced a, a huge recession here in Kenosha uh, where uh, we hit hard times even as uh, the church at the time. And I came back from a youth conference and I found out from the board, oh, by the way, you're getting a pay cut, right? It's, it's like, wow, like this is, this is a time where could it get worse? And oh, it did, right? Allison and I were driving the uh, students to church camp. And again, we have two clunkers. We're driving both our cars there, and Allison's car in Madison, on the way to the Iowa-Wisconsin border, decides it wants to spill all the oil out. All right, so I realized, okay, this little Dodge Neon ain't worth more than 25 bucks. It's gonna cost a couple thou to, to, to actually fix this thing. So literally, we called another parent, get another car here. I drove Allison's Neon to the junkyard for it to get crushed. I was like, didn't think this was going to happen today. So again, we were this family with one car, and the one car was the clunker, all right? How many of you lived that way before, right? You're on one car, and you have to, like, drive everybody. You have to drive, you have to go pick up the kids. You have to go pick up the, uh, you know, and uh, which, um, you have to pick up the prescriptions. You have to pick up the groceries. You have to go to the extracurricular activities. You got to take them to work. It's, it's, it's a chore, perhaps, if you've been in that. Uh, and so again, we were just, could it get, any worse? Can, it get, can we just get out of this season? And it's in those moments where blessing seems like it's so far out of reach that you can get tunnel vision of what you don't have. You can begin to have tunnel vision of, of, of seeing everything that you want, everything that everybody else has, and you don't have it. And you know what? When that happens, your faith begins to shrink what God can do. When that happens, uh, you begin to not look at what the good things God has brought, and you only look at the bad things that are happening. And during this time, because of all the stress, one of the times Alice and I would get in arguments was when we would do the budget. And I'm like, and I finally caught it. It's like, do you notice that it's either when I'm late, (laughs) that's my fault, right? Or when we do the budget, we start talking about finances. It's because our hope had shrunk so much that we thought blessing from what, however we're going to define that, we're going to define it biblically here in just a minute. It just seems so far out of reach. And then one day I was sitting in the living room and it's like, God just spoke in that moment. And it was like, wait, why are you looking at everything that's wrong and not everything that's been given? And I realized, wait, I'm sitting in a house, roof over my head, right? Okay, hopefully it's not leaking. We just found out. I woke up this morning. And I saw the, 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 uh, some wet spots in our ceiling, no joke, in a house this morning. I'm like, okay, I'm talking about blessing, Lord. All right, we'll fix it later. All right, so, but the thing is, it's like, okay, we, we have a house. We have one car, right? We're able to pay our, our bills. God, you're good. 
And it was in that moment I began to flip my view and saying, God, what have you provided? Not God, what am I owed? Because we're not owed anything. My, but I fell into a scarcity mindset. Uh, that There just wasn't enough. Or if somebody else had something, there's no way I could have it because God gave it to them. And it's not zero-sum game. And so in this season, instead of giving God my first and my best, I gave him the leftovers. And I had a lot of followers of Christ tell me and justify to me, oh, that's okay. If you're having a hard time, then uh, you can just flip things, right? And it's when I was buying junk food and going to the movie theater, I realized, God, why am I not giving you the best if I'm giving them my first, right? And so the real wake-up call was this. Uh, my tithing became tips during this season. Um, and somebody came up to me and said, hey, I need 75 more dollars. I've shared this before, but it's, it is so pivotal in my life. I, I, I'm going to share a lot, all right? I, I need 75 bucks for a missions trip. And I just said jokingly, huh, well, you know, times are tough. Um, I'll tell you what, if God puts a $75 check in the mail tomorrow, guess what? It's yours. Well, you can bet what happened the next day. In the mail was a $75 check from an overpayment to escrow in my house. And I realized, uh-huh. I'm like, oh, that's just coincidental. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I need to honor this. And that was a pivotal moment in my life where I realized, you know what? Like, we shouldn't challenge God like that. We shouldn't say, okay, God, if you do this, I'll do that. You know, that's, we shouldn't be bargaining with God. We should just be obedient with God. We should be obedient with him by giving him our first and our best. In that moment, I went back from being a tipper to a tither and this isn't to like toot the horn. This is to say, this is, the Lord wants us to not be, have a scarcity mindset because when you do that, it begins to seep into all areas of your life, relational, uh, the way that you see the world, the way that you see what God can do. So here's the main idea this morning. A healthy heart is not what you uh, have, but seeing where God has already blessed you. A healthy heart finds blessing in the right things. A healthy heart finds blessing in the right things. Blessing in the Lord is not elusive. Now, again, we're going to define what blessing is because this, this term has been completely hijacked by the secular and also what I would call the crazy TV uh, preachers, all right? You've all seen them. A healthy heart finds blessing in the right things. Now, we're going to deal with our attitudes this morning of what we do with our stuff how we handle people, and what we treasure. Let me just put it this way. I've said this before. Everything that you have is on loan to you from God. Everything. Everybody say, everything. Everything that you have is on loan to you from God, which makes you a steward, which makes you a caretaker, with the stuff, the finances, your time, your talents, your thoughts, your calendars, your entire life, you are a steward, and you're to lead with that. But a healthy heart will look for blessing in the right places, not necessarily what they don't have. But too many this morning, and I'd say our hearts, uh, the Bible says our hearts are, 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 are so easily deceitful, right? Uh, our hearts deceive us, right? In the, in the natural, not the supernatural, but in the natural. And so we need to know that our default setting for our hearts is to look for blessings in all the wrong places. Whether it be, I just need this relationship. I just need this romance. I just need this experience. I, I just need this high. I just need to buy this thing. And so some of you are looking at blessing as that if you had this blessing, then you've made it. But that's not what God is saying this morning in his word. So let's talk about blessing. What? is blessing. Blessing just simply means happiness or favor. Happiness or favor, all right? So uh, if you find the ultimate good in something that's not God, you're gonna find your blessing uh, in something that won't satisfy. You'll find your blessing in something that might be temporary, but that's what you see, your blessing. That's your win. But you were not made for stuff. You were not made for this world. You were made for God. And if you're truly blessed, you need to be a follower of Christ. When you place your faith and trust in Christ alone, you become, what the Bible says, a favored child of God. You become a child of God, a son and daughter of the king. That's why when you go to him, you can, you can bring anything to him. doesn't mean he's going to do it. It might mean he will do it. 
but you're a favored child. And God is the great giver through Jesus Christ who gave us salvation. He has forgiven those who place their faith and trust in him alone so that you could have the Christ-like attitude uh, throughout your entire lives towards others, which manifests in generosity in everyday life. Now, in the Bible, there are 500 verses on prayer. There are 500 verses on faith, approximately. But there are 2,000 verses that relate to your finances. When the church says that they should not talk about money, when the church, or, or when people say the church says that you shouldn't talk about money, or you hear oftentimes people say, oh, you shouldn't talk about sexuality, oh, it's, it's all you talk about, or, or you know, the church, you, you focus too much on culture. What happens is, is when we don't talk about subjects, we cede that subject over to the secular world to teach us. Isn't it interesting that God really cared how we see our stuff and our finances? 2,000 times. Why? Because he knew that it could take our heart. Jesus would often teach you parables of the 38 parables that Jesus gave. 16 of them had to deal with money. But I, be, I believe the most explicit treatment on generosity is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. And that's where I want you to go. This will be our, our main text this morning. We'll go different places. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. And this is a passage that Paul is encouraging the church of Corinth uh, to be generous. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. The point is this, the person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the person who sows generously will reap generously. Each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make every grace overflow to you, so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. Notice this, God gives what you need to excel uh, in doing uh, good work for him. Verse nine, as is written, he's distributed freely. He gave to the poor, his righteous endures forever. Now the one who provides seed for the sower and bread for the food will also provide and multiply your seed and increase the harvest of righteousness. You will be enriched in every way for all generosity, which produces thanksgiving to God through us. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. So according to the previous letter, Paul again talking to the church of Corinth, uh, he wrote a previous letter, and in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 1, uh, we see the church of Corinth made a very big pledge to give an offering that would help their brothers and sisters in the church in Jerusalem. Okay, in this day, they didn't have denominations. Okay, they were, it was a movement. Uh, and so they were, they, they were going to give money to the people in Jerusalem. They were poor. They were persecuted. They were hurting. Uh, and they needed support. Now, the Macedonians, which was located just north of, of Corinth, uh, they, were, they were so encouraged about the pledge the church of Corinth gave. They're like, whoa, the church of Corinth pledged that? Guys, I think we can do that too. But here's the thing. The Corinth church was pretty wealthy. The Macedonian church, you would consider very poor. But the Macedonian church was encouraged by their pledge to give generously, but not just generously, over-the-top, outrageous, hilarious generosity. The Macedonians weren't rich. They had very little, but yet they heard the possibility of blessing the church with whom they felt indebted to. They realized the gospel came out of Jerusalem and has now reached them. And like, how can we not bless them? How can we not go over the top? So in 2 Corinthians, Paul is reminding the Corinthian church of their pledge. Hey, people have been encouraged by your pledge. <laughs> Keep your pledge. Keep your pledge. And so he uses an example of what happens when you give. And he, and he uses an agriculture example. Most of the people in the days of Jesus worked in the fields. They were farmers. And so Jesus would use parables uh, to, uh, to explain, or he'd use examples to explain a biblical truth for it to make sense. And so for these farmers, he's using seed. You put down uh, a scarce amount of seed, guess what? It might not germinate. Now, I can, I, if you sow sparingly, you'll reap sparingly. Uh, but if you uh, sow bountifully, uh, you'll reap generously. Now, this last summer, I planted for the first time in my backyard corn, all right? 
corn. Uh, uh, you know, I figured I, I'm from Iowa. I need to go back to my roots. Let's plant some corn. Now, this goes with about just anything that you can do when you plant. But with corn, you don't just put one kernel in the ground. You need to put about three, four, five kernels in the ground if you're going to get a good plant to come up, all right? And I'm, I'm sweating a little bit because Phil grew up on a farm, so if I'm messing this up, you can tell me later, all right? So, but the bottom line is this, is that if you're like, you know what, I'm feeling a little, uh, things are a little tight right now, I'm just going to put one kernel of corn in the ground, guess what's going to, one seed of the, kernel, it's like popcorn, like one seed of corn in the ground, guess what? Uh, you might not see uh, it germinate. You might not see a harvest. That's his point. I guess, uh, let's take this in Kenosha, all right? Uh, if Jesus was living in the Kenosha times, he'd realize that we have crazy weather like this, and we know that in the spring, a lot of our yards have been damaged, and they need reseeded. Now, if, if you saw someone trying to reseed their lawn in the front yard with just one seed at a time, their yard is going to be a mud pile forever, all right? If you want to see your yard green and lush, you're going to chuck seed all over. You're just going to put it all over that yard. You're not, you're, you're not, you're, you're not going to care if you're putting too much down. I mean, there's probably a point where you are putting too much down. But my point is this. You are going to chuck seed, and you're not going to worry about just wasting seed because you want to see it grow and grow lush. If you sow sparingly, Jesus says, you will reap sparingly. Uh, but if you sow generously, you will reap generously. And so what Jesus is telling us as followers of Christ is we need to be people uh, that I don't have a scarce mindset, uh, that, aren't, that aren't Ebenezer Scrooge and, and, and hoarding our things. Uh, he needs to say, God is really encouraging us, be open-handed. Be open-handed with how you pour into people. Be open-handed with your time. Be open-handed with how you, you pour uh, into, into ministries. Be open-handed with your finances. Be open-handed. Why? Look at verse 10. You'll be enriched in every way for all generosity, which produces thanksgiving to God through us. Now, this is, where some, uh, this is where some people that start preaching phony, they'll start saying, oh, you're enriched. Uh, oh, you're gonna be rich. You know, it's like, no, 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 no. Look, look what it says here. You will be enriched in every way for all generosity, which here's, what, here's the end goal. Produces thanksgiving to God. Praise a right heart before God. For verse 12, for the ministry of the service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, it's not just so that people get stuff, but it's also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. The pledge of the Corinthians encouraged the Macedonians to give cheerfully in what they could normally do and even beyond what they normally could do. That's called sacrificial giving. If you can just give something in your sleep, if you, if you could just do something in your sleep, that's what you can do just normally. But God often will bring you in a situation where, you need, where he's asking you to be, uh, bring a sacrifice, whether it's a sacrifice of praise, you're tired, it's cold outside. Listen, I want you to know all you are bringing a sacrifice of praise this morning, all right? Uh, for some of you, it's a sacrifice of time. For some of you, it's going to be uh, financial. It's like, man, if I help in this way, it's going to hurt. A healthy heart finds blessing in the right places, and that is being generous, being generous, having a generous heart. Jesus said it this way. Paul's quoting Jesus in Acts chapter 20, verse 35. He said, he said this, it is more blessed to give than to receive. That's Jesus. That's not Disney. That's not Hallmark, right? It's more blessed. I could just see this in Bambi. It's more blessed to give than to receive, right? Thank you, Bambi, all right? No, it's not Bambi. It's Jesus, right? Well, like we've taken this phrase and we're like, oh, yo, that's just, that's just so familiar. No, it really is more blessed to give then receive. Well, that's not my love language. Eh, wrong. Love languages aren't in the Bible. They're, they're helpful, but it's kind of, you know, it's, it's just something other, right? What Jesus is saying, this is for everybody. It's more blessed to give than receive. Why? Because we are, here's why he's telling us this. We are natural born getters. Our hearts in its natural spot loves to get things. This is why we struggle in the Western world, right, with church, right? As we love to take church and we, we, we make it into, we commercialize it in a way to where it's like, it better meet all my needs or I'm out of here. Well, I'm going to tell you this right now. That's not what we see in the book of Acts. That's not what we see in the New Testament. What we see is people together living in life in the ups and the downs, seeing Jesus get ultimate glory, seeing lives transformed and seeing the ministry go forward where people that didn't know Jesus are now found and alive in him. Amen, church? 
but we're natural born getters. Now we can see this in kids. When all, of, when all my kids were young, they would cry when they were hungry, right? And we would feed them. They would cry when they needed a diaper change, right? For all of our kids, right? Uh, they would, um, uh, <laughs> Alice and I would always pray before we go into a restaurant. Dear Lord, I pray we can have a good date tonight. And yes, we have a third and fourth wheel. They're called our kids. We pray, God, that they would not scream their heads off, <laughs> right? Our kids are natural born getters. And that's okay because if they didn't, they, they, they need the care, right? That's understandable. That's par for the course for all kids, even when we were kids, for those of you that are adults now. But here's the deal. You want to know it's a tragedy? When we never get out of that phase of being a natural born getter. And we live in a culture that rewards you for staying in the spot of being a getter. That's why a core value here at this church is that we are not just spiritual consumers. Yes, we consume things, but that is not our end goal. No, rather, we are to be spiritual contributors because a healthy heart finds blessing in the right places. For the rest of our time, then, we're going to ask these few questions. If a healthy heart finds blessing in the right places, if that means that we're to be generous, uh, what do you treasure? We're going to ask the question, what do you treasure? Secondly, what do you invest in? And then third, are you experiencing true blessing in your life? Let's talk about the first question. What do you treasure? My dad, dad, if you're watching, thank you. Uh, my dad loves to give my kids the most unique presents for, their, for Christmas or their birthday, right? Is that true, Lies? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? He loves, and what I mean by unique presents, I didn't know these things existed, all right? Or I didn't really think of them as, as a kid's toy before he, showed, before he gave it. And so it's always interesting what we're going to get because it's, it, it's interesting. And one year, my dad gave our kids uh, metal detectors, all right? Kids metal detectors. I'm like, what are we going to do with these, right? And so he's like, hey, yeah, there's metal detectors. Uh-huh. He's like, well, you go outside and find, tre go outside and find treasure. I'm like, man, they ain't going to find nothing. Well, what I didn't know is my dad went to the bank and got a bunch of quarters and just spread them all throughout the yard, right? And so for the next couple hours, literally all our kids were doing this all around the yard, not in a systematic way, just a bunch of circles. They're finding quarters. When, when, uh, he was, when they weren't looking, he put more quarters out there. It made for a really quiet home for about two hours, all right? Because like, look at this treasure, look at this treasure, look at this treasure. They thought that metal detector was the coolest thing that, you, that they ever had. It kind of fell out of use when we got to Kenosha because they weren't finding treasure in our front yard. All right, just, it just happens at Grandpa's house, all right? So, but, uh, but, <laughs> but here's the thing. Our hearts, we're always looking for treasure. It's not just a kid's toy with Grandpa putting quarters in the front yard. We're looking for treasure in our life. We're collecting treasure in our life. We hear that, like, oh, sweet. Romantic relationship, oh, sweet. Newest thing for Christmas, oh, sweet. Bigger bank account, I hope, oh, sweet. The lottery's $1 billion, I'm buying a ticket. You get it. We love to find treasure. Our hearts are treasure hunters. Our, our, our hearts are treasure finders. And our hearts are treasure hoarders. But the problem is, we're always and often our hearts are looking for the wrong treasure. John Piper said this. He says, the deepest longing of the human heart is to know and enjoy the glory of God. We were made for this. But sin is what you do when your heart is not satisfied in God. Let me read that again. The deepest longing of the human heart is to know and enjoy the glory of God. We're, we were made for this. But sin is what you do when your heart is not satisfied in God. Our hearts in its natural state which so desperately we need the spirit of God, our hearts are natural and broken and have the propensity and bend to treasure or overvalue the things of this world. A healthy heart finds blessing in the right places. We need the spirit of God to change our desires 
You know you don't just wait for like when you want to pray or when you want to worship or you want to be generous. You pray to the Spirit of God, God, change my desire, change my heart, help me desire these things and help me be obedient even when I don't want to. What do you treasure? What is, let's think of this. What is the root of all kinds of problems in sin that we face today? Do you know? All right. Wow, we, we have like, we have like answers. This is like price is right all of a sudden. It's like, yes. <laughs> all right. Yeah, okay. Yes, absolutely. The, but the scripture is very clear here. And this one's always kind of confused me. Why isn't it pride? Pride's terrible. Why isn't it, you know, lust? Why isn't it uh, false witness? Why isn't it taking the Lord's name in vain? I'm, I'm sure that these are really close to the root, all right? Ten Commandments. But we see here that Timothy is being instructed by Paul, his mentor. And Paul says this, 1 Timothy 6.10. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. So you are correct. <laughs> By craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Now, Paul's instructing Timothy, yo, you're gonna get, you are going to get off track here if you love money. But you know how often this verse is misquoted? This is how it's misquoted. Money is the root of all evil. Money is the root of all evil. That's not what this says. It's the love of money is the cause of all kinds of evil. So yes, money can be a powerful thing, right? Uh, for whatever reason, it is what's been made in commerce. Today it's printed on paper. It used to be seashells back in the days of, of, of you know, antiquity, right? Uh, but, but the thing is this, as long as we're in this life and we're working and we get a wage, uh, we're gonna have to deal with money. It's called stewardship, all right? It's when we start loving it, it's where all sorts of evil begin to flow from our heart. And the Apostle Paul says, Timothy, do not make this an idol. Many preachers of this day, of, of uh, Paul's day and Timothy's day, would take the gospel and they would use it for gain. You know, we see this often today. We hear the TV preachers that uh, tell you, if you give this money, this is what's going to happen. You're going to get a Bentley. You're going to get a Mercedes Benz. You're, you're going to get a raise. We also see pastors that want to make the gospel about their personality. Instead of being a co-labor of the gospel, they go into it for themselves, for their names. One becomes greedy, they start to love their money, but the money can buy. Uh, they, they want their last name to be uh, famous. They want you to look at what they're doing. Uh, and here's the deal. This is, all, this is all such an affront to the gospel. Because the gospel is, is that we've been crucified with Christ. It's we who no longer live, but it's Jesus Christ who lives through us and that we live for the kingdom. Because you know what? We take, this bears reminding, I think we forget about this in the busyness of our 80-odd years, more if you're, if you're real lucky, right? Uh, but we take nothing into this world and we will take nothing out of this world. And every time that you have to settle an estate in your family, and you will, I want you, to, I want you to watch carefully what happens to all the cherished stuff. Yes, some of it becomes heirlooms, but most of it goes to an auctioneer in a bin, and it ends up at the Goodwill. We're not about our stuff. Jesus takes a step further in the Sermon on the Mount. Not only are we to not love money, but when you do, you'll start serving it. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either you hate the one or love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The word money in the original Aramaic word is, is mammon, which includes not only your money, but it can be translated your possessions, things of value, prestige, maybe even your time. So whatever has value that you possess in life. And what, what Jesus is saying here is, your heart can't be divided by these things. You're going to love one and not love the other or vice versa. Now, let me just say something right here. This does not, you're stewards, remember? What does a steward do? They invest for the future, right? What's a steward do? Uh, they, they use it wisely. 
What does a steward do? They don't get it. They, they don't live life in debt, all right? This, isn't, this message really doesn't cover those things, but I think I need to mention that. I don't want people to be like, well, it doesn't really matter. No, it does matter. What matters is, is that you're not to love it, right? Uh, you're not to love the pursuit of things. When we serve the spirit of mammon, a deceptive spirit takes control of our hearts, greed, selfishness, self-deception. When mammon takes hold, you hold your life with a tight fist. But the spirit of God, he's reminding us this morning to open it up in generosity with your life. Matthew 6, 24, Jesus is saying, you will love one or hate the other. You can't have it both ways. Man, we live in a society where we want things both ways, and you just can't. You just can't. You can't be obedient and disobedient and be obedient. Jesus gave an even greater warning in Matthew chapter 19, verse 16. He said this. Uh, Jesus had an encounter. He had, a, he had an encounter with a, a, a rich young ruler, and the rich young ruler ran up to Jesus and he said, hey, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of God? And Jesus is like, okay, um, you need to keep the commandments. His response was, I've done it. I have fulfilled all the 10 commandments. Now, here's the deal. You want to know how you can get to heaven? Don't miss this. You want to know how you get to heaven? By yourself? You got to follow all the Ten Commandments. And this rich young ruler is like, I did it. Here's the problem. Nobody can follow all the Ten Commandments. Y'all sinned. I sinned. We fell short of the glory of God. The Ten Commandments shows where we fell short. That's why we need a Savior. Jesus provided the forgiveness because none of us can keep the standard of the Ten Commandments. We have all sinned and gone our own way. But this rich young ruler is so deceived, he thinks he's perfect. He's literally saying to Jesus, I'm perfect. Jesus is like, okay, cool. Then do this. Sell all you got and follow me. And he turned around, he thought about it. He turned around, he's like, there's no way I can do that. And he went home disappointed. Now, it's not that you have to go and sell all your stuff. That would actually be probably pretty reckless and not what God wants in your life right now, okay? The point is, he looked into his heart and saw what was an idol. And God can see in our heart this morning and see what is an idol, whatever that thing may be, whatever that mammon may be, whatever we value. God cares about what you treasure. Treasure the Lord Treasure uh, to be good stewards of the Lord. Treasure what God loves. Know what God loves by having a personal, personal relationship with him. Uh, being in this book. Being in community with one another. Serving and being generous with one another. Uh, this isn't a list just to check things off. But it's something that God wants us to wholeheartedly do in response to his goodness. So a healthy heart finds blessing in the right things. So what do you treasure then? What's the right things? You need to find out what you treasure. Number two is what are you investing in? You will invest in what you believe in. You will invest in what you believe in. What are you investing in? 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. Now the one who provides seed for the sower and bread for the food will also provide and multiply your seed and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way for all generosity, which produces thanksgiving to God through us. For the ministry of this service, not only supplying the needs of the saints, but also overflowing in many expressions of the thanks to God. The early church knew that everything again to them was on loan by God. They knew that because of their faith in Christ, they could lose anything and everything at any moment. To be a follower of Christ in the early church meant they could lose their job, they could lose their possessions, they could lose their life. But they had conviction. That conviction in the Lord that the mission must go forward and their conviction was how they invested their very lives. And we see in verse 12, that because of this conviction, because of this investment, the payoff was an overflow and many expressions of thanks to God. When you invest in your time by going to Citigroup, think about this. When you invest in your time in being in Christian community, I want you to know 
that the end result is together you'll experience an overflow of thanks of what God is doing. When you invest uh, in worship and praise when you're tired, right? When you're in- investing, you're spending your energy. Like, okay, I'm tired, I'm cold this morning. But God, you're good. I want you to know it's gonna overflow in an expression of praise. When, when, you, when you give financially, even when you don't want to, even when you're like, I don't know, when you're trusting the Lord in that. I'm not talking about being reckless, and I'm not talking about if you're in, in, in financially in trouble. We'll talk about that in just a moment, okay? Uh, but what I'm saying is, uh, the natural outflow is, God, I am going to be generous. I'm going to give you my first, not my leftovers. The healthy heart is blessed through generosity. By the way, I want to say this. Let's talk about name it and claim it theology, because what I don't want you to do is saying, okay, God, I'm going to give you my first and my best because I know you're going to give me something. Now, I already said that's garbage theology, but I want to do a little bit more of a deep dive on it. Can we do that? All right? So we're going to pause here for a second before we get to our third thing. I'm going to talk about the dangers of, of name it or claim it, what's called the uh, prosperity gospel, the gospel of health and wealth. Um, many churches don't talk about being outrageously generous uh, financially or in other areas of life, giving their time or whatever, for fear they will look like they're the name it or claim it, people on TV, right? Uh, <laughs> even, even talking like that's a learned way to talk. Anyway, so, but, so it's called name it or claim it theology. It is, it is a, a prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel is a teaching simply put that teaches that God wants believers, if you're faithful to him, he wants all believers to be physically healthy, uh, wealthy, and happy. And, uh, and you're doing something wrong or even in sin if you're not healthy, wealthy, or happy. First off, how could you ever read the Gospels and get that somehow living outside of God's will, uh, you're living outside of God's will if you're not rich? <laughs> Seriously, how could you ever read the Gospels, the New Testament, anywhere for that matter in the Bible, and say, you know what, I read the Bible today and uh, we all got to be rich. Like, I don't know what Bible you read, all right? I don't know what, you're probably reading a self-help book, all right? Maybe you're watching a particular TV channel, right? But that's not what I read in the Bible because it's not in the Bible. In fact, that type of teaching is cruel. And the gates that God often grows his people through hardships and suffering. How cruel is it if somebody doesn't get healed? Oh, he didn't have enough faith. How cruel is it if someone is financially, something happened like, well, you must have sinned. How cruel, it's cruel and it's unbiblical. And yet, this is being taught Uh, not only in evangelical and charismatic churches, because I believe that some people, they want to speak to the heart of people where they they receive it. Uh, There's a lot of you-centered preaching happening uh, throughout the Western world because we just want to, the Bible calls that tickling your ears. And yet, our heart longs to have all sorts of earthly stuff. And that's what the prosperity gospel itches. That's what it wants to give you. And it's false. Another hallmark of the prosperity gospel is that God will give you back more money if you give a certain amount of money. Now, God can do this. God, God can uh, bless you certain ways because he knows that you're generous. We see this in, the, uh, we see this in one of Jesus' parables where he entrusted uh, d- different things to different people. We do understand that, but that is not a template that if you give five bucks, you're going to get 500 in return. That's, just a, that's, that's false. And the thing is, I, I've heard about this theology. I never really saw it in person until I went to a uh, church in California for a Sunday. I was traveling. And I kid you not, uh, this was their offering time. In fact, I hope I have this. Um, yes, this was their offering time. If I, if I have this, if not, then I won't worry about it. Um, but they had you hold up uh, the envelope. And they said, everybody, I want you to stand. It's the offering time. So everybody stood. Why don't you hold up your envelope? Everybody hold up an envelope. I'm like, okay. So I'm holding up an envelope. (laughs) And like, we're going to make a declaration to the Lord. That as you give today, it will come back double. There will be checks in the mail. There will be, there will be promotions. Uh, there, there, will be, there will be healthy and where it's been unhealthy and all sorts of different declarations. And I remember I was like, first I was saying it, and then I'm like, uh, and I was like looking at the people next to me. I'm like, this is the prosperity gospel. I'm actually seeing it. And yet people are giving, not for a motivation to be generous, but to get something. And that's not why we give. 
That's not why, and it's manipulative to, to say the least. The prosperity gospel attempts to turn, the, uh, turn God into some kind of genie. That if we pray a certain way for personal blessings, he'll give our every desire. Now listen, here's the deal. You can pray about anything, but we need to understand God's the one who's in charge. And when we give something to God, we can trust him to use it and multiply it in the way that he sees fit. The prosperity gospel is a false teaching. It is a false gospel, and it must be rejected. My mentor Greg Seary put it this way. God will bless obedience, but where prosperity people get it wrong is it has to be a financial blessing that blessing is used for consumeristic selfishness. If you try to use God to get rich, I want you to know straight up right now, that is idolatry. God blesses so that you can bless. We invest in what we believe in so that we can bless. And when people are blessed, they too then can invest. And when you invest, people are blessed. And when people are blessed, they invest. And when you invest, people are blessed. And when people are blessed, you invest. You get what I'm saying? It's to catch on, and that's what we saw. The Corinthians are like, we're gonna invest. The Macedonians are like, we're blessed, we're gonna invest. And it's spread all throughout the New Testament church. Jesus said this in Luke chapter 16, verse 10. Whoever is faithful in very little is also faithful, uh, is also faithful in much. Whoever is unrighteous uh, in very little is also unrighteous in much. So if you have not been faithful with worldly wealth, who will trust you what is genuine? And if you have not been faithful with what belongs to someone else, who will give you what is your own? True riches means spiritual stewardship and responsibility in God's kingdom. This faithfulness is with respect to worldly possessions that God entrusts his people for stewardship during this lifetime. Blessings, again, can come in, in many forms. Some, of, uh, some you'll never see on this side of heaven. That's why when your grandma said, my blessing's in heaven, she was correct. Most of our blessing, if not the far majority, 99.9% of the blessing that you don't see on earth, I want you to know right now, we are going to be so amazingly blessed in the presence of God and what he gives us. And don't for a second think, oh, that sounds lame. We just don't understand it. Understanding is lame in that sense. The key to living a healthy heart is giving God the keys to your entire life and saying, Jesus, you are my Savior and you are my Lord, which means Master. As you follow, you begin to approach your life in a spirit of gratitude and generosity in all areas of your life. The reverse is someone who is fearful, who is stingy, who has a poverty mindset. What are you investing in? A healthy heart finds blessing in the right things. What do you treasure? What do you invest in? Finally, are you experiencing true blessing this morning? Are you experiencing true blessing? You experience more blessing when you give than when you receive. You'll experience true blessing when you value giving over receiving. Malachi chapter three, verse 10. This passage is often read in, in uh, connection to giving, and I wanna give some context to this. Malachi three ten. bring the full tenth into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this way, says the Lord of armies. See if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing for you without measure. Now, Malachi was an Old Testament prophet, uh, during the uh, return of Israel from exile. Uh, if you've been with us the last couple months, we've talked a lot about that. Uh, Israel had been exiled for being disobedient to God, uh, and God rose up a, a time of favor, a, a time of fulfilled promise, uh, where uh, they were able to go back to their homeland and live uh, and begin to build the temple again. And so Malachi uh, noticed the people's joy and excitement uh, about moving back. They began to build, they began to live, but that excitement had waned and people began to look to their own interests more than the interests of God's ministry and things began to fall apart again. And so Malachi is, is reminding God's people uh, that you do not want to trust your possessions over the Lord. And so we see here, he says, bring the full tenth into the storehouse. That tenth is where we get the word tithe. It literally means your first 10%. Uh, it was a command given by God to the people of Israel that would serve to fund the storehouse uh, or the office of priests uh, for the functionality of the temple. But it also served as a testing uh, of the heart of the people of God. He says, test me in this way. This is the only positive verse that we see in all of scripture where God says, test me. It's a testing for us. It's a testing for him saying, watch, watch what happens. We see in the New Testament, when you give, you're gonna have an overflow of thanksgiving in your life. Watch what happens. 
And so this entire book of Malachi is a conversation between God and the people of Israel to get them right in the area of generosity. Today, we don't give to a temple, but we give to a local church, Kenosha City Church. We can give over and above to ministries, uh, parachurch ministries. Um, uh, that's, that's called a, uh, so we have tithes, we have offerings. Tithe is a starting point. Did you know that? Like some people are like, well, you know, I, I don't believe, I believe that's an Old Testament thing. Like, okay, okay why, why would you go less in the New Testament, right? That, that's my first thing. Is first, there's plenty of, of scripture in the New Testament. That's not even my intent today. But the thing is, God wants us to be generous. 2 Corinthians 9, 6, let's go back to our main one, main, main passage. The point is this, the person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And the person who sows generously will also reap generously. Each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. Cheerful. God wants a cheerful giver. You know what I often hear? <laughs> I, I hear this from pastors sometimes. Well, you know, they can give if they're cheerful. First off, we're going to talk about what that word really means in just a moment, but let's just talk about that principle of thinking. Would you ever say that? You know, just read your Bible if you're cheerful. You know what, just go to church if you just wake up and you're cheerful. You know how many times in the morning I wake up and I'm cheerful? I'm like, all right, Lord. It's, it's like I'm praying. My God's other Lord, get, make me alert, Lord. Lord, get me out of bed on time, Lord, right? Yeah, how many of us would say, you know, any area of life, just if you're cheerful, but yet somehow in our finances, like, well, he doesn't really care about that. He does. So what's this mean? Cheerful in the Greek, I love this. Hilaros is where we get the word in English, hilarious. Some translations call this outrageous, but it's hilarious. They're like, it's like the Corinthians, think about this. They, they made this pledge, and the Macedonians are like, whoa, did you see that pledge you're going to give Jerusalem? I think we can do that too. That's great. I, let's do it. Think we can do it? Well, I mean, we're not that, we're not. Let's figure out how we can do this. And then Corinthians, the people in Corinth, they're like, did you hear what? The Macedonians are doing? <laughs> like, how are they doing that, right? It's hilarious. It's outrageous. It doesn't make sense. And all the glory goes to God. God doesn't want us to just be like, eh, there you go, right? God isn't a beggar. The church isn't a beggar, right? And eh, there you go, right? Here's a, here's, a, here's a quarter, right? God wants us, whether it's finances, our time, how we pour into people, no matter what, he wants us to be hilarious. Like, these Christians are crazy, right? I don't understand it. It's, it's, it's almost reckless. I'm not telling you to be reckless. You need to be good stewards, right? God loves it when we give and it produces joy. God loves it when we trust him about opening our hands. Now, for, let's talk about for, for money again, and we'll go to different categories here. I often hear people say this, well, just things are tight, and they might be. But giving money is not about how much you have. It's giving God the first of what he's entrusted you with. I want to say this to the people out here right now. If you cannot give, if, first off, if this isn't your church home, then don't worry about it, all right? But, but you know, we want this to be your church home. You, you, you're free to give, but don't worry. But if you call this your church home, this is how it functions. This is how we move forward. But if you're in the chair today not giving simply because you don't want to give, you need to talk to God about that. But if you're not giving today because you literally are in a hardship, you need to tell us about that. We want to help you. We want to help you get on your feet. We want to help with maybe we want to help you wherever you're at. And we're serious about that. If you cannot, if this is your church home and you cannot give to your church home because of finances and you're in hardship, please let us know. We want to help you. Does that make sense? God, bottom line is God's not after our money. He's after our trust. What about time? Some say, well, when things get less busy. No, with money, it's like, well, when I make more, I'll get more. Well, when I get more time, then, then I'll invest. You know what ends up happening? You end up retiring. And then when you retire, you say, well, I'm retired, right? Or I, I'm too tired, right? <laughs> right? We, we, can make, we all have the same 24. 
The question is, what do you do with it? So they say, and listen, I understand there are seasons. Sometimes people can't jump into things. They can't jump into groups. They can't jump into additional Christian friendships or whatever that might be because they're in a season. Maybe you're in school, you know? Uh, but I will say this, even if you're, you're like in school, I remember like my first year, everybody told me in seminary, you know, don't get involved in the church. I'm like, I'm, be, I'm training to be a pastor, but you need to study. I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna watch what happens. I'm not gonna go to the library the first semester of my first year in seminary, and I'm gonna go all in in the church. I'm gonna see what God does. People say, you're crazy. I'm like, well, I'm gonna do it. I got my best grades the semester I didn't go to the library and I did all the ministry, all right? It's when I started going to the library, I was like, my grades went down for whatever reason. I don't know why. I'm not saying that's a template, but what I'm saying is this. There are legitimate seasons and only you and the Lord know that season, someone shouldn't judge you and be like, mmm, I don't know, right? We don't want to be judgmental, right? But we just need to make sure no matter what it is, whether we're young, whether we're older, whether we're in a job, whether we're in school, whether we're, we have kids, whatever, everybody has situations that make it complicated. But don't ever use that as an excuse to make a season a lifestyle. Does that make sense? You invest your time, your talents, your treasure to encourage people to become fully devoted followers of Jesus. If you're not dead, you're not done. A healthy heart finds blessings in the right places. So let's land here. I want us to do a. Um, I want us to do a bit of a heart check here. Do you have a scarcity mindset when it comes to anything in your life? A scarcity mindset usually, it, sometimes you hear it in a financial discussion. It's not necessarily finances. Uh, I think a scarcity mindset actually is is totality. It's, it's finances. It's how you use your time. It's how you relate to people. It's how you think people are going to think of you or respond to you. Uh, if you are a glass half empty uh, scarcity person, you're going to think the worst of every situation all the time. All right. So are, do you have a scarcity mindset? And uh, if you do, you may be afraid because you're afraid you don't have enough. And again, if, if you are in a hardship season, please let us know. But I'm not talking about a mindset. I'm talking about a, you're actually in that. But some of us, God has blessed us so much and we refuse to see how God has blessed us, even in the small things. Blessing isn't an amount. Blessing isn't a last name. Blessing isn't how popular you are. Blessing is that you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus. You're a child of God and he loves you and he's providing for you. And so, do you, not, do you, do you miss all this because you're seeing what you don't have? You may have a scarcity mindset if these things occur in your life, listen to this. Be real with your heart. You may have a scarcity mindset if you bring a bag of stale chips to a potluck, all right? Bring a side. You bring, you bring a stale chips or leftover Christmas cookies in February. You avoid paying bills even when you have the means. You live in debt. You mooch off people even when those people you're mooching off are in harder situations than you. you lack a, your lack of a budget rules your life. Or you have such a stringent budget that you have squeezed out any generosity you should, make, you should give. What fear dominates? And a person who has a scarcity mindset, that fear will lead you. You'll never feel like you're good enough. You'll never feel like you have enough time. You'll never feel like that you could ever do things right because there's always something that could go wrong. Now, the unlimited supply. Some of you are more on the unlimited. Let me read you this, Philippians chapter 419. Paul ends his letter to the church of the Philippians. He says this, And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. This verse says that God will provide for all of your needs. And you know where I first saw this verse? Uh, for whatever reason, I, I don't remember reading this until I saw it at the bottom of my school bill, all right? My, my Bible college school bill. You owe $6,000, by the way. May God supply all the needs, right? I'm like, yeah, right. But I thought about it in a moment like there, and I said, you know what, God? You are the God of abundance. And you're gonna put, you're provide me a job to pay this off. Someone's gonna generously give me some money for this. You're gonna find a way to make a plan to pay this bill. 
when we realize that we have an unlimited God, you can have an unlimited mindset of being generous towards others, with your time, with your talent, and your treasure. The thing is this, I'm not telling you to be reckless. I'm just telling you to be faithful. I pray that God will stretch your faith out from a scarcity mindset, if you have one, to a mindset that God can give you more than enough to not only provide for what you truly need, but for the needs of others. I pray that you will move from making all your decisions from fear of what if to a vision of what God can do. That you move from being worried about your life to faithful stewards who practice hilarious generosity in every area of your life. Because a healthy heart is a generous heart. Because it really is more blessed to give than receive. So Father, we thank you for your word and for your presence and for the work of your Holy Spirit. We ask, God, that you speak into our lives, grow our faith, God, beyond a scarcity mindset and increase our hearts of generosity. I just want to just ask anybody in this room right now, with no one looking around, be real honest. How many of you would say that you often have a scarcity mindset? No one looking around, just raise your hands like, yeah, that's me. I have a scarcity mindset, okay? I ask right now in your holy presence, Father, that you would break this mindset in others and in myself. God, give us a faith to be generous even when we don't feel like we can. I pray, God, that a heart of generosity would overwhelm all of us. Thank you, God. And Father, I pray for the person that feels the poverty mindset this morning it's because they don't have a relationship with you. They feel like something's missing in their heart. They're trying to fill things in their heart over and over and over again, and something's missing. So, Father, I pray right now that they would search and see if they have a relationship with you. In fact, as we continue to pray, I want just to ask uh, you a question. Is what's missing in your heart today a personal relationship with Jesus? If that is, I want to encourage you to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. It's not about the stuff on this world. It's not about any works that you can do. It's none of that. Jesus Christ doesn't receive you by your works or by what you have. He receives you by you placing your faith and trust in him alone. You see, God created every relationship with him. But you sinned. We've all sinned. I've sinned. And that sin separates us from Almighty God. But what uh, we could not do by keeping the Ten Commandments, every one of us has broken a commandment. Every one of us has told a lie. Every one of us has had anger in our hearts. Every one of us has done certain different things. And we're separated from Almighty God. And because of that, we are without hope, without a remedy. But thanks be to God, that remedy has come. His name is Jesus. Jesus Christ stepped into this world to stand in your place, to die on a cross, taking on the wrath of God, paying for your sins, past, present, and future. But because he's a perfect sacrifice, he rose from the dead, defeating sin and death three days later. He ascended to heaven and he's coming back. And our responsibility now is to receive him in our heart to receive him, to place our full faith and trust in Christ alone. So will you do that? If you've never received Jesus Christ as Savior, do that right now, saying, Jesus, I want to place my faith and trust in you alone. In fact, if that's you, with every heads bowed and eyes closed, would you just slip up your hand if that's you right now? You're like, I need Jesus. That's actually what my heart needs this morning. I want to place my faith and trust in him alone. Thank you, I see you. Um, and anybody online, just reach out to us. I'll reach out to info at kenosha.church or even andy at kenosha.church. Let, or, or let us know uh, that you receive Jesus Christ as Savior this morning. So Father, I praise you for those that are saying yes to you, that are placing their faith and trust in you alone, that you died on the cross for their sins, rose from the dead, and that they're made new. God, help us now because of your generosity. Help us be generous in all areas of our life. 
and that we would invest in what matters most, and that is the things of God. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode. If you would like to know more about Kenosha City Church, then check us out online at kenosha.church or on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Kenosha City Church. Lastly, if you enjoyed this episode, we encourage you to follow us so that you never have to miss an episode. At Kenosha City Church, we are not perfect people, but real people being made new through Jesus.